Hello, welcome back. God, yeah, it's been a it's been a long week. It's uh, it's good to see you, but but look at yourself. I mean, look at the state you're in. What's the matter? Theresa May's speech it got to you a little bit, but you're in a bad mood along with hundreds of other European delegates. I've travelled to a secure EU-loving bunker somewhere in London. I've secured a, a, a marvellous interview with Paddy Ashdown. It's a strange old bunker. You've got quintessential pictures of French towns hanging on the walls and lovely flags hanging from the ceilings from across the, the countries of Europe. So it's amongst those flags that I found Paddy Ashdown, just sat in a little chair, uh, smoking a pipe with his slippers on. Uh, uh, he, he wasn't, that's a, that's a lie. I've lied there about Paddy Ashdown. He wasn't smoking a pipe and he wasn't wearing slippers. Um, yeah, and he made me feel really good about uh, Europe, the hope that we all have together. If we, we, we stick it out and coordinate, get organised. Uh, and he's very keen on giving a message of hope to pass the message on. Uh, the lessons that he learned, obviously. We talk uh, a little bit about past and present. And to a large degree, at the end of the, the, the chat, we talk about what he talks about, um, his research he's doing on his book. And let me tell you, as a Second World War geek myself, I loved it. So on, on, on other things, I've, I've found another door of the Limehouse, um, inside the Limehouse. It's a strange door. I thought it was damp. When the estate agent first showed me and Bobby round, um, Emily wasn't actually here, actually. She'd missed the viewing by half an hour. Yeah, this estate agent, he never pointed out that this, this, this other door existed. So I'm like, Bobby, you know, what's, what's this? And he said, Will, don't bother. It's just damp. So, you know, he went on, he went away, put the kettle on. Whilst he was putting the kettle on, this door magically appeared. And who did I find in there? Elaine Bagshaw. Unbelievable. Lovely, lovely human being. We had a great chat. We talked local issues and national issues. This, this person has has come from Nottingham. She's not just a, a Londonite. She's a, if that is a word. She she's she's been she's been all over the shop and she's got some uh, interesting uh, ideas and she she campaigns regularly in her community. She's really hands-on, grassroots, proper um, liberal liberal-minded human being. But yeah, anyway, after after the the two chats. So yeah, I hope you've had a good week reasonably so if you fancy uh, getting in touch please do of course you can use all means twitter limehouse pod that's our whatever it is what is that it's like a hash an at sign and then limehouse pod i don't know what it means i think it's like a, a handle or something and then uh, email us give us your ideas you know the, the internet connection at the Limehouse is in and out because of the renovations we're having done. We're actually uh, painting the house yellow. Um, inside, I might add. The council wouldn't let us um, paint the whole house yellow. Bobby said it's a stupid idea anyway. It will just attract loads of bees. And I, I, actually, I really like bees, Bobby. So, yeah, leave it out. Anyway, um, we're, we're painting the whole thing because Tim Farron. We, we want to show him, rather, just how much how much we love the party. So I've... I've painted my bedroom yellow. I've painted the TV yellow actually as well, and I've um, I've painted the floor yellow, and I've painted the windows yellow. So it's very there's not a lot of light, and I've, some of my clothes I've painted yellow, and I've painted tin all over my van, so you can see my level of commitment. And I've painted tin 
Right, okay, I'm here with Elaine Bagshaw. Uh, she is the wonderful PPC for Tower Hamlets. Um, say hello, Elaine. Hello. That's marvellous. Well done. <laughs> Thanks for having me. No worries. Thanks for coming. We're, we're sort of in the midst of a, of a semi sort of um, sound check. So I think the levels are great. But if the levels aren't great for you, just uh, turn it up. Um, that's aimed at the listener, not you, Elaine. Don't worry. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Elaine's, Elaine's here. We, I just want to know a bit about you. Can you tell the listener not actually why you're here, but what you're about politically, of course? Or you can talk about anything else. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I joined the party way back when I was at university on uh, the back of education policy. So I'm the first in my family that's been to university. Well, only a person in my family that's been to university. I went to a private secondary school on an assisted place uh -huh. and I was the last year to get them so that was uh, if you had uh, grades that were good enough and passed a particular exam you got a part scholarship from the government and I grew okay. up in Nottingham where all of the schools were failing oh, wow. <laughs> so uh, that was my I guess kind of silver bullet yeah. and th that was why I joined the Liberal Democrats because it felt like they understood that that education is one of the things that can really unleash people's talent and potential and ties into all of that stuff about not being enslaved by poverty and conformity education can be uh, the biggest thing that removes all of the barriers to that but obviously Theresa May and her um, cohorts are uh, all about uh, grammar schools at the moment so. yeah which don't really make any difference whatsoever I think the problem at the moment is everyone like uh, for me I don't believe in academies or grammar schools or anything like that it's more the principle should be everyone has a right to a good education yeah. and a good school at the bottom of the road and all of this time we spend tinkering with is it an academy or is it something else there's all these kids that are just sat there like I would just like a decent textbook and a well-paid yeah. teacher. I couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> agree anymore. Like, yeah. Could we concentrate on that, please? Yeah, because, you know, like uh, education can be amazing, can be fun. Topics, geography, hell, you mm -hmm. know. I It's just always fascinated me, actually, like how geography can be, on the one, one, one hand, unbelievably fascinating. In fact, I'm still vaguely obsessed with Oxbow Lakes. Oh, really? My yeah. obsession was tectonics. So oh, earthquakes and how volcanoes are made. I loved that. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, no, I, I get that. I was just always... But then Oxbow Lakes can become fascinating, but then, my God, you get the wrong teacher. Uh, suddenly it's like you're yeah, in a prison. Yeah, So what what was your journey into party? Because I know you've you've been in the party for some time. Well, you just told me. You were 11, you, you're what, 31? You've been in the party since you were 20? Yeah, yeah. So what? I joined... Um, yeah, it was 11 years in December, just gone. Wow. Um, it was a so I'd always been a, I guess a fan of the Lib Dems uh, since I was 11 so the 97 general election so uh, I'd always thought they were like good common sense policies stuff that would work the whole education theme yeah. and I joined it university partly because Nottingham like there were no Lib Dems it was Labour through and through so you didn't really see anything different okay um and then at uni my first lecture I sat in our professor in front of like 300 undergraduates and asked how many people were a member of a political party and your uh, hand went straight up right? no 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 because I didn't join by then oh, okay, there were yeah. like four people out of 300 and this professor was like I can't believe you're sat here doing a political science degree oh my and none God. of you are willing to pin your colours to the mast and actually work out what you believe in yeah. I suggest you all go away and think about it and I was like oh 
okay. Um, and I'd always been like, you know, at some point I would probably join and do something. So I joined the Lib Dems. I was like, I'll just deliver some leaflets and was it, was it, maybe was, go to a couple of freshers things. Was it an initial, oh, I like the colour colour yellow or... Oh, no, I was really nerdy about it. Like, I knew my affinity was to the Lib Dems, but I went and, like, read through all the policy because I was like, well, I know I like them on education and the yeah. economy, but there might be something hidden somewhere that I don't really like. Oh, right, uh, so okay. I, made sure, I made sure I checked and I read greens and labor and the conservatives as well yeah. the tories and labor i was on their sites for about five minutes and i was like oh no yeah, no yeah. i don't agree with this well i'm I, wow mm. you really you really did your homework i think for, I me, for me it was just like a, almost like uh like a genetic thing i just kind of always knew i was a liberal and then oh no no maybe it's probably something to do with my father yeah <laughs> I, I think he did yeah you know vaguely sit me down in front of question time yeah, yeah, I didn't really have anything like that. So I kind of, um, I've realised as I've gotten older that I was definitely a liberal. So um, my mum yeah. went to work and my dad looked after us, um, which was very different to everyone else. Uh, my mum had me when she was 18. She, When we were growing up, she would always tell me and my brother that she'd refuse to have us christened because uh, children should be able to choose their own religion. Oh my God, Which that's is amazing. a really liberal I thing. That. I but love that, I love that. I didn't yeah. realise until like I was studying at university just how liberal she'd been because they, like, they didn't use those labels. It was all about are you Labour or Tory? And yeah. that was it in our house because that was all anyone knew. Yeah. And um, so it's been a kind of, I guess, a slower liberal awakening for me because wow. we, we didn't have Brexit or the 2015 election. So, the... I mean, obviously now, like, you can sort of look back and go, wow, you know, Mum, that's that's a bold move. Like, yeah. You know, not having us christened and what have you. Keeping our minds open, as it were. Yeah. Yeah. Open, united and tolerant. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Well, it was also, yeah. so I was born in Devon yeah. and mum and dad moved us up to Nottingham like when I was about four because they wanted us to um, grow up with other cultures and yeah. experience like lots of things which you couldn't get in the village that we lived in oh. at the time. Um, so yeah, hmm. yeah, which it's taken me a long time to realise. Obviously, when you're a kid, you're just like, you're making me leave all my friends and I have to live in a polluted city. But don't worry, <laughs> one day you'll be a PPC and, and you'll understand what we were doing it for. Yeah. Yes. Is, is that, that's yeah. Line. I'm not sure that that was really their intention. Um, like, obviously, mum and dad are very proud. My dad is sometimes a bit like, this is not a proper job. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, it'll pay off in the in the end. He's drawing his pension now, so that's what he worries about. He's Bless like, him. he's like, what's what's uh, Tim Farron doing about my pension? Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah. yours well, personally. Yeah, <laughs> got not, stuff. Not yeah, yeah. Goodness <laughs> me. No. So what are you? So what are you doing now? I mean, like we could we could focus basically. Um, so I'm from uh, Sydenham, uh, Lewisham area, and you're from. So I live in Poplar and Limehouse, which is my constituency, Yeah. Um, which is where I've been for four years. And I've lived in Tower Hamlets for about five or six. So and those of you who aren't in London, Tower ha- uh, that, that's a London. It's, in, it's an area in London. Yeah, you know. East London, Canary Wharf. Yeah. Oh, so nice. okay. when they do the shot on The Apprentice of the HSBC Tower, yeah. round there. Okay, next time you see that, just think of Elaine. Um, <laughs> and, and so... What what's your what what's your pressing at the moment? What's going what's going down in Tower Hamlets at the moment? So we've got a big thing at the moment where we're due to be um, a pilot area for the new voter ID laws that will come into force next year. So this is the idea of when you go and vote, you have to hand over a passport, a utility bill, 
or a driver's license. And I think there might be some other options, but those are the three main ones. Yeah. Um, same issues that have come up in the States of then it's known to depress, to depress voter turnout in oh God, poorer yeah. communities. Yeah. Um, and things like that because like I don't have a driver's license. Yeah. I only have a passport um, because I've never bothered to learn to drive. Oh, right. Okay. Um, yeah. But then I can afford one. Whereas there are lots and lots of people in our community that won't necessarily have one. We have lots of houses of multiple occupancy. So it tends to be one person who's got their name on the bill. Oh, so right, you okay, could have yeah. like eight people in one flat, but one person has their name on the bill, like in student houses. Yeah. Uh, we've got a lot of those because professionals can't afford to buy. Yeah. So they all have to share. Uh, so I think it will cause a lot of problems. And I don't think at the moment that anyone's like ready for it, for no. it coming. Um, and we're seeing that. At, like a demonstration of that at the moment where the council has just decided that those forms of ID that you'd have to give to vote you now have to give to get recycling bags basically you've got it when you when you go and get get your recycling bags um you need to take ID with you yeah oh because we're rationing them now apparently there's a shortage so you get one roll of 52 because yeah. you're only allowed one a week that's all the recycling you're allowed to do yeah. Um, because the the other thing for people listening is if it's not in a regulation pink bag, the council won't take it away and recycle it. You have to go to a uh, what we call an idea store, which is a library to anyone else. Um, between, an idea store? Yeah, that's what we call them in Tower Hamlets. You can only go between 10 in the morning and 3 in the afternoon. Uh, you well, what to, about work? What happens if you're at work? Then you don't get them. Is the council... No, we're doing this... Because it benefits the community. We're we we're, we're allowing you one recycling bag a week uh, between the hours of ten and three in the afternoon. We're doing that for a very good reason. Is there a, is there? A, can you give me the reason why that is? So we haven't seen anything about the reasoning behind it. It's um, it wasn't a very mm. well publicised decision. So it's come as quite a surprise to people. Is, is that because it's shit? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it's the kind of thing that they just assumed like they you'd get away with it. Like, yeah. oh, people will just kind of go, oh, I didn't get my recycling bags. Oh well, that's annoying. I'll just I'll carry just, on. I just won't recycle um, anymore. Yeah, but it turns out we have a lot of really good, decent recyclers in Tower Hamlets who aren't happy about it at all. Um, yeah, and it's not just the fact that you know it's restricted time that you can go and collect them. It's also you've now got to turn up mm. with your passport or a utility bill and they're crossing a name off a list when it matches um, and it's just a bit 1984. I try to recycle as much as I can. I'm telling you right now, if we were only allowed to recycle if there was a specific bag given mm. to us, I'm I'm going to say right now I probably wouldn't do so well at that. No. Yeah. You know, although um, I try very hard. You know, it's a bit weird. Yeah. And it's the same with anything where you... So my day job's in change management. So it's all about changing people's behaviour. And if you want someone to do something, you have to make it as easy as possible for them. But you think that maybe this is like a tryout for a voter ID? It seems like too much of a coincidence that the ID you have to give to get recycling bags matches the ID you'll have to give when you go and vote. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the concerning thing for me is it's only the council that will have access to the information of how it's gone. Um, we won't be able to get hold of that. And so it's just a bit worrying. Um, I'm not sure that 
they're doing it for for the best reasons yeah uh, so it's something that we'll be asking some questions about in your constituency what are like the national issues that are affecting your constituents the most at the moment um so housing is a big one in my constituency because there isn't enough of it the government bringing back right right to buy and putting it for housing associations uh, is going to cause massive problems for us it'll decimate really social housing Mm. Uh, we've got a big problem where like uh, where i live um in lansbury ward which Mm. is named after angela lansbury's i think grandfather oh really yeah she's from my patch she comes back every now and again oh well there you go um (laughs) so we have there's an uh a development near me around Chris Street Market, which they're going to redevelop. And if you look at the plans, it's the usual thing of the amount of council housing will reduce. And they are basically, they're telling people that they probably won't be able to move back if they're there at the moment. Um, So they're trying to do compulsory purchase. Lots of the businesses, uh, they don't get guaranteed that they'll be able to move back in at the rents that they're paying at the moment. So they could double and lots of people might and not probably be able will to move do. back. Yeah. yeah. And for a lot of people there, like it's all independent shops and there's Maureen's Pie and Mash shop, which has been there like for decades. Um, and that might not be able to to come back if they go ahead with what they're trying to do. So it's things like that that are a problem. Yeah. And um, Brexit, obviously I've got Canary Wharf in my constituency. So that is a huge issue. Yeah. We have lots of European citizens that live in the area. I remember in the run-up to the referendum talking to a woman who was from Germany. She'd been here for 22 years, had never bothered getting her citizenship because she'd always felt welcome and it wasn't going to be an issue. And now that's not the case. Yeah. And she's, you know, married, got a family, has always lived, like, worked here, always contributed. Did she receive um, a letter, get out, or was it a knock on the door? Or? Uh, there's been nothing like that. No. Um, in most parts of Tower Hamlets, we haven't had anything like that. Um, the issue has been, like in lots of the country, it's been more around race. So we have a huge Bengali community. There have been women uh, wearing hijabs in the street that have been attacked, um, told to stop wearing them, told to go home. Was this is this still going on or is that just after Brexit? It seems to have quietened down slightly. Okay. So straight after there was an yeah. increase. Um, but then we've got Trump inaugurated on Friday. Uh, so there's a lot of fear that... The monsters the, come out of their box. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of people who now feel that their opinions are justified. Now, definitely the 52% that voted in favour of Brexit do not all think that way. Yeah. But they have legitimised a group of people who feel like actually the yeah. 52% were voting with them. Yeah. And, and so they're taking that and running with it, unfortunately. It's just a shame, isn't it, that there's a lack of, of coherent respect and just just knowledge, you know, like the people out there that really do genuinely think, well, you know, uh, we voted... Uh, I don't know why I'm doing an American accent. Uh, you know, <laughs> because they wouldn't have been able to vote. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Well, I, mean, I, didn't, I wouldn't want some of them to, to be mm-hmm. honest. Uh, but, you know, there are some of them thinking, well, we voted uh, to leave, so let's get out. Let's get out now. Mm-hmm. You know, um, let's get out. And I want it now. And I don't want it... I don't want it today. I want it yesterday. And, and he says there was the one guy that berated Tim Farron on um, Question Time a little while ago. Oh, yes. I remember seeing that. Yeah. It, it, was, it was so... It was funny. Yes. It was funny. But, I mean, that's what we're staring at now. Yeah. To a and, degree. And you've got pe- some people who think we've already left. Yeah. So I've spoken to people who are like, 
um, oh, but we're fine. Like Brexit hasn't caused any problems. And I'm like, um, yeah, it what? hasn't actually happened yet. What? Um, and also it has caused problems. And um, But I think, I mean, part of the issue is it's causing problems in like the financial industry and the technology industry. And most of the people involved in that voted remain anyway. Yeah. And it's still the fact that there isn't that narrative for... You know, if you're in places like Nottingham, where I grew up, where it's been massively left behind, every time I go back, something else has closed. And the high street now is essentially like Costa, Starbucks, um, Tesco. So and that, that's kind of it. And in areas like that, yeah. they're not they're not seeing an impact because there was nothing there to impact. Okay. So they're waiting for, oh, we'll leave and industry will come back. Oh, because they've been sold this promise by people like Farage and Gove which isn't going to happen. But in places like that, that was their only hope. So I can understand why people voted the way that they did. And it's really sad that in a few years, they're going to realise how badly they were lied to. Um, And part of it went like when I spoke to people in East London, that like that was their thing of, well, you know, I have no hope. I won't get a house. I won't get anything else. Um, it was all about trying to get people to be angry at the right people. Okay, and yeah. unfortunately, everyone decided to take it out on Europe rather than Labour governments that yeah. let them down and the Tories and whatever else. I think it's um, I think it's a debate that we need to... I mean, it's 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 only been going... Right, well, the post-Brexit debate's only been going, what, six, seven months. But it's a debate that we need to move around a lot. We need to sort of keep 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 reinventing it because it, it does... Not necessarily reinventing it in, in a, in a um, negative way, just because it can get bogged down, people will start to choose sides and really get entrenched. Yeah, from a psychology point of view, like yeah. that's that's how it works. Um, so, so if Remain had one, uh, you know, we would be on the receiving end of uh, you know, real like lever hatred. There would definitely be demands to rerun the oh referendum God, if course. it had been the other way and everything else. Yeah. And we would all be sat here going, no. It was the right result. It was the right move for the country. Yeah. We're not budging. We'd be doing exactly what the other side is doing. Yeah. Um, so it's not it's not surprising. And, and I think there is something about uh, kind of in this initial bit, everyone clings on to, to what they believed. Because I think for a lot of people as well that voted leave, if you are in those places where you feel quite hopeless, they are hopeful that this is going to be their silver bullet and it will turn things around and it takes a long time yeah. for people to realize that that's that's not what's happening but i mean you know for for me that 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 is one part of why i joined the lib dems but i felt after maybe a, a week or two afterwards i was like i've reconnected with this party that i've always loved and then oh right yeah you know their their views on on the nhs and everything uh, started chiming for me so obviously it's not just about Brexit um, for the Lib Dems. What what other issues are there out there at the moment that are chiming for you from the na- from sort of like the National Party? Um, so health is a huge one. Like Norman Lamb um, and stuff. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, how mental health is treated is an ongoing problem. The crisis in A&E at the moment and the appalling comment from Theresa May over the weekend about if GPs don't open for the hours I want them to, I'll take their money away. Um, essentially say, was I, what she was what? saying. Did I miss that? I um, thought I was... Uh... Yeah, there were some headlines around. It was a bit... Of, yeah, it was an out-and-out threat, essentially. Um, and just the way that the I mean, National Health Service absolutely should be free at the point of use. The problem at the moment is 
we're not really grappling with the fact that we have an aging population the way that people work is changing massively the way that we all use technology is changing massively as well and we've got this huge institution that is it's really set up for the 70s and and it's not able to move as quickly as anyone would like it to Mm. But the answer to that is not angering every single junior doctor in the country. Um, they're focusing, for me, really on like the wrong things. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are like there's loads that we could do. NHS will look completely different in five, ten years. Yeah. Um, from like at the moment, I've been doing some work around NHS property. Okay. So yeah. hospitals at the moment have things like they have trolleys with massive batteries that you wheel around all the time and they you know they need charging at night and that kind of thing all of that equipment is now starting to be moved to tablets so they're a lot more portable you don't need to have these massive batteries and trolleys and things like that and that means that things like corridors don't have to be as wide because you don't have to get these trolleys past each other all the time um that's actually a huge change because it means how hospitals will look is quite different yeah and they do have massive corridors Yes, they do. They're so um, you can get two trolleys past each other, depending on where you are. This is being a consultant. This is all the stuff I've learned in no, no, the last I like few it. months. It's good. It's good. It's good. Um, but that's the kind of thing that you don't like when we talk about health. Everyone thinks about, um, you know, can I get to A&E and those kind of things. And actually, there are lots of other things around. Well, actually, what are we doing with apps and the fact that everyone has a smartphone now yeah. and... There are loads of things you can do in terms of like checking your blood pressure at home and sending the stats to your GP and then just yeah. having an alert system which says, oh, actually something's changed and someone needs to come in. Enabling people to like at least engage with the idea of, I mean, you know, there are people in their 80s that are absolutely far more technolo- technologically advanced than I am. Yeah, so it's enabling people to look after themselves without googling and thinking they're gonna die (laughs) this is the thing isn't it yeah exactly like you know hyper accelerating hypochondria and and you know worry and and all that sort of stuff and Mm. trying to alleviate pressure where we can yeah and it's difficult because like you get two narratives at the moment i find there's this whole thing about any is stretched gps are stretched don't go unnecessarily and then you've also got all of the campaigns about men don't go to the doctor when they need to yeah and people leave symptoms too late and as a normal person you just have there like oh hang on you're telling me two very different things here yeah. like i am worried about something but i know you're stretched so i won't go and that will be the time when actually someone really needed to so i think for me i think it's more of a less of a tinkering and it's a whole health revolution yeah. that we need really some of that's going to involve more money and a lot of it i think is going to involve technology and how we Just, how we support people and where the, they get services but yeah. money and strategy are two other things as well because you know you can you can throw good money after bad blah 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 i just feel at the moment i was listening to uh, any questions the other day a uh, chap on there was talking um about money yeah nhs needs money but it needs strategy as well so it's not wasted and it's not and, it, and it, the nhs is over politicized as well mm. to such a degree and i I don't know, I've been feeling lately that there maybe it should almost the NHS should almost be an independent body, free of political restraint. Not in you know, it still has accountability, obviously, but it needs Norman Lamb was really fantastic the other day, talking, you know, trying to get a cross party mm. alliance going on, uh, forward thinking. And I just started thinking, well, you know, maybe hey, if there's like 
25 um, experts from the political uh, arena that have nothing to lose or gain. They're just in the NHS. So if uh, their party um, that they're vaguely affiliated with loses a general election, Mm. they don't, you know, they're not they're not campaigning on the NHS. The NHS is just I don't know. I mean, my idea was just to try and depoliticize it. Because it is dangerous. It's well, we see it's dangerous because it yeah. keeps on bloody breaking. Yeah, it keeps getting tinkered with. But I think, I mean, the issue there is that you could say that about everything. So roads and infrastructure are essential. Yeah, education is. And once you go through the list, all of a sudden, there's nothing for government I, to do anymore. I, I know what you're saying, but um, I was th- I was thinking like maybe on the lines because the NHS is just such. It is the heart of the country. So you know, fine, but. Uh, but it's just it's it's to me it it, fear, it infuriates everybody on so, so many mm. different levels because there aren't enough nurses and there aren't enough doctors or surgeons um, calling or just at least guiding the government in a more um, sustained way. They all just seem like they get advice and then they just go no, we don't want that because it doesn't fit our political yeah. agenda. And that's where you get things like the crisis with junior doctors. Um, which like how Jeremy Hunt is still in his job is incredible. He's like the Jeremy Corbyn of the government. Yeah, <laughs> like, everyone's yeah. just out there going, how, how is this happening? <laughs> how are you still there? It's unbelievable. Um, he could do whatever he wants now. Well, I think at the, he's, it seems to have gone quiet recently. So he feels like a bit of a, a lame duck health secretary. Yeah. He can't really do anything. He's just waiting it out now. Um, and hoping someone else will want to do it. I would, think would you, are you going to do it one day, do you think? What would be your ideal uh, cabinet position, do you think? Um, I got asked that before when I went for selection in 2015 and I said health. Um, because like I hadn't worked in it up until that point, but I'm a real... Um, like, I like fixing things and I like looking at things completely differently. And okay. I think that's what we need in health. So health is a real... It needs to be free at the point of use, but the rest of it should be ripped to pieces and see what you come up with, from my point of view. Um, obviously, protecting patients and interests of GPs and things like that, but a real... Re- let's, revolution? Let, yeah, let's look at it properly and work out, you know, what's the world going to look like in 10, 20, 30 years, and therefore, what does the NHS An overpopulated mess, like? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably. Um, well, who knows? With yeah. Brexit and everything else, it might not be. We're not a very attractive prospect at the moment as well, a yeah. country. Well, yeah. I mean, plus Trump might drop a few bombs. So that... Well, I don't know. I, I know. was reading on my way here about the 25th Amendment um, where uh, the vice president and half of the cabinet, if they feel uh, the president cannot uh, um, do his duties because he's mentally not able to they can uh, replace him i'm uh, mentally incapacitated guys it's okay hey guys <laughs> it's gonna be great it's gonna be great yes. i'm uh, mentally incap- incapacitated but you know we're still gonna drop the bomb it's gonna be fine it's gonna be great yeah so there are so there might be um because everyone in the u.s is kind of like 
impeachment takes really long. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Have we got any other options? Yeah, I can't remember how long it took to impeach Clinton, uh, Bill Clinton, back in the day. Oh, it was a long time. I just yeah. read, a, um, my brother bought me a biography of Hillary Clinton for Christmas. Yeah. And it was in there and it was a good, I want to say two, three years or something. I mean. Because they kept changing what they were trying to impeach him for. They could just fly, I don't know, like a massive drone down, pick him up and just take him to like the Isle of Alba like they did with Napoleon. <laughs> Obviously, they didn't use drones in those days. Mm. They, they used boats uh, and guns. I mean, you know, it's just a, it's probably a good point to end on, actually, because I'm starting to sound like I um, need a rest <laughs> uh, with my weird ideas. But um, yeah, look, thanks so much for coming down. Uh, you you have to come back more often. I will do. And you should come to Tower Hamlets as well. Seeing yes. as you're the Limehouse podcast, you can come to the place of the Limehouse Declaration. Exactly. That, that's, a da- that's a damn good idea. In fact, we'll probably just knock on some doors together. I, lo- I love a bit of door knocking. Good, um, good. That's, yeah, that's yeah. a political expression, by the way. I'm not a pervert. <laughs> it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> At least I hope I don't come across as a pervert. Those days are long behind me. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, you can say goodbye if you like. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. Good work. That's very good. I'm not going to delete this this time. I did that last week with Bobby. Jesus, it was so embarrassing. Paddy Ashdown. Interview inbound. Please take your seat and collect your ticket. Please take your seat and refrain from eating popcorn. Paddy Ashbound interview inbound. Your article yesterday that you forwarded me, or previous day before that, um, on uh, Theresa May and where we are now. I just recently read a Mark Pack um, blog, um, and the parliamentary vote being the most important vote in a generation. Probably coming up. How, how have you? Have you been able to filter down these past few days after Theresa after Theresa May's well, speech? Some, you know, in some sense, in some sense, you were not surprised, but you still were still shocked. Yeah, because we, it's what she said she'd do, um, and she's done. It's. I think there are two things that shock you. First of all, that she has taken seems to me deliberately the most extreme position possible. Yeah, there are all sorts of other ranges of position which were. Um, which would have put us out of Europe, sadly, of course, but nevertheless connected to Europe. And she has chosen to have the one with the least connection. She has chosen the option to pack, call, you know, rechristen Britain, Britopore, and paddle it out into the middle Atlantic and uh, and hope for the best. So I think that's foolish. Uh, and in many ways, you're quite shocked by the fact that it's very clear to me that she put the interests of the Conservative Party before the interests of the country. She's doing this yeah. to the Conservative Party. I'm also shocked... Because the Tory party, you know, don't obviously we oppose them, but we have to recognise there have been great and good Tories. Um, nearly all of them, those representatives of the internationalist stream of the Tory party, and now it's completely gone. I mean, the Tory party has adopted a position which is, it seems to me, pretty indistinguishable from UKIP. Um, I'm, I said to my wife the other day, could I tweet, you know, Mrs... Mrs. May's Tories UKIP with but with clean underwear and she said no I couldn't which is a pity but there you are um, <laughs> the the um, and she was right um, <laughs> yeah uh, um, so the thing that shocks me is that you know where does the centre of gravity of our country lie it lies broadly speaking centre left I think you know, America's centre right Britain I think is centre left sort of common sense and and that great space now the yawning gap where millions of this country have their opinions 
is completely unoccupied except for the Liberal Democrats, who are great but small. Yes. Um, and so Labour now um, doesn't even pretend to occupy that space. It is now avowedly and proudly a hard-left party, and I think that's very damaging. Um, and the third thing which shocked me a bit was apparently the, the lack of humility, the arrogance. I mean, here she is, um, a prime minister who isn't even elected by her own party, and let alone the country, who is taking a majority of 3%, 4% and making it into an, uh, uh, what's the phrase they keep on using, a decisive voice by the British, but it wasn't decisive at all. Yeah. And what's more, she's stealing that whole vote and telling us that she knows what it's for. It's for a complete break with Europe and it's for um, an end to any kind of immigration. No, people voted for all sorts of reasons. You know, they voted yeah. to send messages to Westminster. They voted because they were grumpy and not listened to, justifiably in my view. They voted against immigration, some. They probably some of them voted because they got out of bed the wrong way yeah. that day. So, I mean, to take that um, and to turn it into um, the most extreme position which you claim to have support for um, seems to me arrogant and dangerous. A Prime Minister's job is to unite the nation. Yeah. After such a divisive, after such a divisive exercise, well, she's and she's made no her. attempt to do that. She's yeah. actually widened the division. So yeah. all of those things shocked me, but not surprised me. I came into the party because of Joe Grimmond. Um, he yeah. was the, you know, Liberal Party is very small then. You could fit it in a phone box. Was the joke, um, but he had he was a towering man who made us radicals and believed in this profoundly important thing: internationalism on one hand. A, a government of the state built around not the powerful state but the powerful citizen and so that was brought me in uh, I can see the people who joined when I was leader and I'm very flattered by it and they, they include you and I'm delighted to hear that but they include Nick Clegg and Norman Lamb and all that generation yes, yeah. I can see the people who joined when Charles was leader Slightly different, by the way, people. I think many of them who joined when Charles Lee, and a lot of them have gone back to Labour. I'm not being rude about Charles, because I think he was a no, formidable no, no, you're, politician. You're but, right, let me yeah. say, but let me say this, that the people who joined because of Nick Clegg, and above all that amazing speech that he made after he stood down, you guys, uh, who have joined our party, uh, maybe not you, but this great... This is the new golden generation. That you are a of a quality and calibre which I've never seen before. But generally, I mean that. And the quality and quality you will never find in the Tories or Labour. These are young, they're energetic, they're intellectually rigorous. Uh, not all of them, of course. There are mistakes there too. There are not mistakes, but there are people who are less these things. Yeah. But I am just so confident of this, and that is that if this party now grows as I believe it can, if it takes the right strategy, then we are supremely well-equipped for a position where we will become an actual party of government. Again. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of things that I believe that will stand us in good stead coming up to this parliamentary vote and whatever the hell happens between now and then. The Iraq war, the Iraq war standing by principles there and, and you know, it, it really gave us a lot of credibility there and proved us in the long term to be, to be right. Here's the thing I love about our party, that time and again, it gets it right. Uh, about the big issue. It got it right on Suez when we were the only people to oppose Suez. It got it right in Bosnia when we were the only people who said we had to. Well, you were at the forefront of that, of course. Well, so, yeah, but that's yeah. what a party leader is. Yeah. You know, and, and I was in, spent a huge amount of time in Saudi Arabia. It got it right on Iraq. You know, we may be small, but being equipped with liberalism in a liberal age enables you to see things much more clearly. And I'm astonished 
at the extent to which the other two parties invested with vast arrays of policy advisors get it wrong so often, and we get it right. And yeah. that should make you feel very proud and very confident, I think. Well, yeah, I mean, Sarah Olney, the recent uh, victory in uh, Richmond Park, would suggest, you know, we, we pumped, okay, we had a, the opportunity to pump a lot of energy into that, and I know you were there campaigning as well. But that, once again, you know, that felt like a real sort of uh, grassroots victory. For yeah, me, for me anyway. Yes, it was a grassroots victory, and it's our secret weapon in many ways. You know, okay, so we don't have a huge number of great stars that we can put on because we're only nine MPs, but our secret weapon is the energy and enthusiasm of our members, and when that is deployed, there's little that can stand in its yeah. way. I want to make a point, however, and I really want to make this point to you guys because it's really important. We have to have the right strategy, and I'm not sure we're yet as clear as we should be about that. Here's my analysis. What has stunned us in the last year, two years, apart from politics springing away to the extremes, actually it's not what happens in Westminster that changes politics. It's not what happens in Washington that changes politics. It's these people's movement Mm. outside the political circle. And I think we'd be wrong just to look at the Westminster bubble. When we come up to the Brexit debate, Labour's now cut and run. They're going to vote with the disgracefully great internationalist party in the past, going to vote with the government. We've got nine MPs. SNP will support us, I suppose. But we ain't going to win. Uh, If the battle to rebuild this country's engagement with Europe is going to be won, it has to be won outside Parliament, not in. Now, what has always struck me is that, you know, why is it that all of these people's movements who have reclaimed politics are for bad things? You know, it's the people's movement outside politics that puts Trump in power, going to be um, in the inauguration tomorrow. It's people's movement outside politics put the SNP in power. It's people's movements outside politics that created the UKIP. It was people's movements who colonised Labour and shifted away. Why do all the people's movements have to be for the bad, ugly things? Mm. If there are, as I think there are... Um, the massive majority of people who are broadly progressive, moderate, liberal-minded in our country, that's really where the majority lies. What can we do to generate that? And I think we have to see our party not as a little tribe that we build up. Of course we're that too. You know, Making the Liberal Democrats strong by winning in by-elections like Richmond is necessary, but it's not sufficient. And we have to see ourselves as part of a wider coalition that puts together... You know. What what are we to do about the lost tribe of Tory MPs who were internationalists that have now nowhere to go to? Ditto Labour on the other side. Yeah, no, so absolutely. we have to bring them in. We have to see ourselves not just as a party proud of itself, but as a party prepared to take the risk to build relationships with others and above all to recognise that there are thousands we have to mobilise who feel as worried as we are, as angry as we are, as political as we are, but don't want to join a political party. And that's what More United is about. It's well, about trying to build yeah. that wider space. Your your heavy political days are obviously behind you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you seem to me, um, just literally over the past what, five minutes, to be someone who's so keenly aware of the future and, and leaving a sort of a legacy, as it were. And you're someone that is able to do that. Do you, would you you know, I'm not really interested in legacy. I Look, here's the truth, William. I'm no good at pipe and slippers. I can't do it. Um, you know, I write books and I, I'm president of UNICEF UK. Uh, and above all, I, can, I cannot sit here and do nothing while my country is being dragged away so that everything that I've stood for, we've stood for for the last 30 or 40 years, is now at risk. 
you want me to sit aside and say, oh dear, what a horrible thing. I've got to get engaged in this process. It's not about legacy. It's about finding means and mechanisms to turn a very nasty, dangerous situation into a better one and to save and preserve, not my legacy, but what liberals stand for. Because I think this is an age which needs us more than ever before. You know, in my speech in the House of Lords today, I'm going to compare this present age with the 1930s. Try not to mention the war, by the way. But um, And after the war, and I think it's very like that, after the war, Churchill was asked, how did you do it? You know, when the rest were moving away from democracy to dictatorship, we wanted the government of strong men, when we were moving towards isolationism, how did you alone stand up? And he said something very important. He said, you just have to keep on buggering on. Yes, yes. And I think one of your roles as a liberal, when all the tide is running against you, is to be prepared to keep on buggering on. Never, ever, never, ever lose faith in democracy and liberal values and always be prepared to take your sword in hand and go out and there, there and do battle for it. Yeah. So this is not about my legacy. It's about a great, I hate to use the word crusade, a great battle to ensure that liberalism in an age when it's more at risk than I can ever remember in my life doesn't vanish. Yeah, no, I would agree completely. But I, I do feel that um, I do feel the foundation that perhaps yourself and um, Charlie Kay, uh, Lord Steele, etc., etc., have you know the foundation that you've laid is a platform to look back on, and really as as liberals in a, in many ways, and to say you know we we come from a great line as a liberal democrat myself, yeah. a great line of people to be proud of and to be able yeah, to that's, fight that's, this battle going forward. Well, that's, that's kind of you, and of course you would extend if you want to do that, you extend it back to the great people's William Gladstone himself, who yeah. founded all this. But you know, it's up to you guys. What who was to once said, we stand on each other's shoulders, and you're the one standing on the on 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 on, on those shoulders it's now. Get, yeah, it's getting wobbly up there. <laughs> well, I'm not sure. I think you should take comfort from this, which is that one of the things that makes me so passionate, apart from believing it, is the fact that you know. In a very bewildering age, in a very puzzling, bewildering, dangerous age, the only political creed that makes sense is liberalism. Yeah. By the way, it's why everybody else tries to be a liberal but fails. You know, well, Cameron called himself a liberal conservative, which yeah. is a contradiction in terms. Right? Blair used to say he was a liberal, and I said, you're no liberal, sunshine. Um, so, you know, this is the only creed which is both about the empowered citizen in the modern age, think about the internet and how that empowers citizens and about internationalism. There's no other party that's internationalist. You yeah. can't solve a nation's problems unless you're prepared to work internationally as well as nationally. And so take pride not just, it seems to me, in what the past liberals have done, but also in the fact that, you know, if you don't have, if, the, if, if liberalism does not triumph, then I think, look, here's my view. The lesson of history is clear. There has never been a sustainable, successful government. There has never been a prosperous age. And there's never been a peaceful world unless they're based on liberal values. And if you lose those values and part company from them, what comes next is conflict, division and tyranny. Yeah. And you know those liberal values are now really, really um, under shot and shell. And we've got to go out there and make sure we preserve it. Up to you guys to do it. Yeah. That's the important thing. No, I, I completely agree. I mean, obviously, as you touched on earlier, we, we can't do it on our own. Well, look, and again, don't just think of Westminster. Don't yeah. just think of the MPs. There are Labour members joining us by the thousand at the moment. I've seen them in Yeovil. So, you know, there are Labour supporters 
who are knock on doors and they say, yes, I, you know, I wasn't, but I am now. I see the problem and Labour's no longer a place. Tories, I've had, I can't tell you how many Tories have said to me, I shall never vote for them again. Yeah, I know um, a couple of myself. So, rem- <laughs> what? I know a couple of myself. Well, there you go. Uh, so remember, it isn't the MPs. But yes, I mean, have, 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 a, have a thought, be compassionate about what I call the lost tribes of t- Labour and Tory MPs. And what's it like to be a Tory internationalist in a party that's abandoned it? What's it like to be a Labour who be- Labour who believes in the free market basically as our servant, not our master, of course, and finds the party is explicitly opposed to it? My guess, William, is that it would be unreasonable with these people who are in a difficult position, you know, isolated in their own party, miserable, as worried about the future of their party as we might have been in the past with the Lib Dems, um, I think to say, you know, come and join us, but you want to leave your own. I don't think we should do that. I think we should look. We understand you. We should be compassionate. I should, look, we understand your difficulties. I understand you're not going to leave the Tories. Some may, but some may actually, maybe even quite soon, in my view. Um, but the majority won't for a bit. But you can say just because you're a Tory doesn't mean to say we can't work with you on the things we both agree on. No. And so I think the uh, my view is that if you are to build the Liberal Democrats, as the centre of the great new rassemblement, as um, Mitterrand would have called it, the rassemblement du centre-gauche. Which translates... Uh, which is the, you know, the, the, the gathering of, of, the, of, the, of the progressive centre. Then, um, then we, this will be done not organisationally, but organically. In yeah. other words, we bring them in through friendship. And then who knows? You know, make it easier for them in the long yeah. term. Who knows what will happen? But yeah. don't sit there and say, you've got to come and join us and before we talk to you. I mean, that's just silly. Yeah, no, obviously. Yeah, no, absolutely. My worst fear is that this, this vote comes down to a yes or no. Once again, this absolutely massively detailed vote, it's going to come down to a yes or no again. Well, I mean, I, how is that even fair? To, to, even to MPs who, you know, obviously spend the, they're going to spend the next 18 months or so actually turning it over in their heads, you know, morally trying to... If we leave it to two years' time, we're going to lose. I, I think, here's the thought. I mean, you know, I'm an optimist. You have to be an optimist to be a liberal. Oscar Wilde once said, in a democracy, the minority is always right, which has always given me much comfort on 30 years. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, 2016 was the year that frightened us by the terrible things that happened. I'm not so certain that 2017 couldn't, if we were prepared to make it so, be the year the worm turns. And that centre group of people, those moderates who are new, the new voiceless and left out, ensure their voice is heard. And if it is the case that as I think it will be, that the people of Britain really feel the painful effects of Brexit by the middle of the year. I'm not, I don't discount the fact that the public mood may radically change. And I think we have to work for that. If you think you can win this battle with nine MPs and a few Scotlands in Parliament, we probably can't. If we become the voice of a wider majority out there that demands this is not the way we are prepared to go, then I think you can win. Yeah, I suppose it does. It does in in certain degree take some sort of focus, some sort of. It takes the the press to be able to focus upon one. They're not willing at the moment to give the Liberal Democrats an awful lot of uh, yeah, they're uh, coming attention. To it. And we've had but, the Wi-Fi the Stern battle. They're becoming to it. We're never going to find the Daily Mail and the Daily Express. No, I'm, I'm no, against. No. I'm against capital punishment, but I would be prepared to make an exception from those who choose to, 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 to read the Daily Mail. I think. Yeah. Uh, this is a joke, in case anybody takes it seriously. Yeah. No. Don't worry. The, the, no, it's the, a joke. The, the um, but but. Is 2017 the year when the worm turns? Um, my guess is it could be. 
providing work pad to make sure we help it do yeah. so. And your your life as an author at the moment, audiobooks, etc. Um, I actually I've just finished the Bruce Springsteen autobiography, which mm. is absolutely incredible yeah. to hear Bruce, you know, speaking to your ears for about eighteen and a half hours. I'm yeah, pretty sure I've had to record all mine too. Yeah. God Almighty. What, what was how's it going with the with the book? What's what's that? What's it like now, life as an author? I mean, obviously you've been doing it a I while, do, but, you know... No, I've always written all my life, and I would recommend others who want to go into politics to do so, because it gives you a feel for words. So I've always written as my... I'm, I'm now working on my tenth book. Last book's going rather well, actually. People have very good sales for Christmas, and the audio book is selling quite, quite, quite reasonably well. I mean, it's not a lot of... I love having a... My wife calls it my train set, and I love having a project to work. I love the process of writing. I love the process of researching. This book I'm writing on now... Working on that will probably take me two years of research before I pick up a pen. Oh, really? Uh, it's a story of... I mean, it's an amazing story. It's a story of um, the German hit resistance to Hitler. Oh, yes, you said, uh, yes. And, um, and actually what you see is people for... Starting in 1933, consistently recognising the threat to what you and I would call broadly liberal values seeking to turn Hitler away from him, seeking to kill him, seeking to frustrate his war aims, Germans, um, and help us win the war because they couldn't tolerate that he would win. And in the end, they were all killed, but the spirit they sought to preserve and for which they gave their lives is the spirit of the modern Germany. It's yeah. not an unreasonable... You know, here's the paradox of our time, that we in Britain are now having to be taught a lesson in compassion and liberalism by a yeah. German chancellor. It's the spirit, <laughs> the spirit they died for yeah. has now found its root again in the new Germany. That's really encouraging. Yeah. So it's really it's an extraordinary. You'll be amazed when you see um, yeah. when you when you read the, the, the story because it's just not known. Well, I, I read a, I think Anthony Reid book on the Hitler's in a circle, which blew my mind a bit, and that was about ten oh, it's, years ago. It's it's much more than that. It's better than that. Uh, listen, <laughs> these guys not only did all that. Yeah. Uh, Hitler's um, you know tried to kill him four or five times, ending until his life. They came to warn us in 1938 that he was about to invade Sudetenland. They promised to remove him in a putsch if we stood up for Czechoslovakia. The putsch was there an hour away from launching, and then suddenly Chamberlain called Munich. It was a war that didn't have to be. They would have removed him and taken him to a lunatic asylum or killed him. And then through the war, they deliberately frustrated his war aims secretly, headed by the head of the German intelligence, Admiral Kadaris. And much more than that, they actually sent us, in real time, priceless secrets about what he was about to do militarily through two spy rings in Geneva, one operating to London and Washington and one operating to Moscow. And on the crucial battle on the Eastern Front, the Battle of Kursk, um, which was the great tank, greatest tank battle of the, of the Second yeah, World War, yeah, amazing. Moscow, from the Abwehr in Berlin, passed to Zurich um, by teleprinter, Given to the Lucy spy ring in Geneva, Moscow got the battle plan for Kursk before the German commanders on the front line. Yeah. And that all came from those people who weren't prepared to see Hitler win. Yeah. In fact, what they decided... I mean, here's an interesting thought about, about treachery and traitorship. Here, you know, w they decided we had better be traitors to our country and cause thousands of our soldiers to be killed than be traitors to the true spirit of Germany and our own humanity. Okay. How about that? Yeah. That's the story. And it's an incredible story, let me tell you. Well, the, the bravery, especially around the time of the SS and the... Uh, well, the, the bravery, the moral courage to do this, 
Um, I mean, it was amazing. And all the key generals were involved. All the key foreign yeah. office people were involved. Um, the head of the Abwehr was involved, secretly passing us information. No one has yet put together what the actual forces are. They're, they're just, they're the tip of the little iceberg. What's going on behind this yeah. is the most extraordinary So thing. when are we going to hit, see, uh, read this book, hear it? Oh, I don't know. I'd probably start writing in about the middle of this year, but it will take me, I think, two years to research it. I've got a huge amount of research. I've got oh to go and read, read, the, read all the German documents in, in Switzerland, and, and I don't read German very well, so but you, I, can, you, I can do French. You well. know a few languages. I've just read in your autobiography, you've, uh, you know Malay, is it? Somebody once asked me who, how many languages I learn, and the answer is that I've forgotten six. You forgot? <laughs> okay, okay. Fine. Well, I can still do French fairly well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the lords, the House of Lords, how much power do they really wield? Say, so, for, in, 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 if everything's gone up um, crap alley in, in, a few, in a few months' time, few, year and a half, two years' time, um, how much power do they really have? You mean on the, on the final day? On this note. They, they, they don't, I'm afraid to say, because the, the, in the end they can dig their to heels in, they can um, resist, they can say no, because the House of Commons is the elected chamber. So yeah. they can delay, but they can't, I don't think, change the direction. No. They can use the delaying power to force the government to consider its timetable on small things, possibly, but can they reject it, unfortunately? No, I mean, you know, I went to the House of Lords to get rid of it. I'm wholly opposed to the House of Lords, and I've got to be there to cast a vote, because yeah. otherwise they cast a vote to continue, and that's what's always happened. Yeah. Um, I, I think the House of Lords has two jobs to do. It should be a revising chamber uh, to revise the laws that come up from the Commons. This it does rather well, very well in my view. Um, but it's got a second function, which is really important, is to act as a check and balance on the executive. And this it does not at all, because it's a creature of the executive. It's appointed by the executive. The new prime minister comes in and makes new laws through patronage. I thought we got rid of that with the Stuart Kings. That gives him the reflects his majority in the Commons in the House of Lords. So how can it stand up to the government? Yeah. So I suspect you wouldn't have had, if you had a proper elected House of Lords, elected on a different basis, proportional representation, regionally based, and with powers um, on treaties and wars, you wouldn't have had the Iraq War. No. Uh, and yeah. It's the failure of the House of Lords to do its job as a check on the executive, which has given us, in my view, the Iraq War, poll tax, and all the worst um, pieces of decisions we've taken. Okay, then. Do you have any like, distinctive memories of when you first joined the party, when you literally, literally just out of your army, sorry, your um, marine um, regulars? I wasn't, I, was, I, wasn't and, I was on my way to, I was in the member of the foreign office or something like, yeah, I'll tell you exactly what happened. Um, I'd been a member of, I'd been a Labour supporter, we're all entitled to our youthful follies, um, <laughs> but it was the Labour Party of Roy Jenkins and Shirley Williams and so on. And then I'd abandoned them because I knew they were just going to be the creature of the trade unions. I was in the political wilderness. Um, and uh, I was packing, and James was packing, and a little man came to the door and knocked on the door. I opened it. Memory plays tricks on you. He may not have had a bobble hat, but he certainly had a beard and sandals. And he said, hello, I'm from the Liberal Democrats. I'm from the Liberals, because we were Liberals then. Will you vote for me? And I said, no, go away. Because <laughs> uh, uh, I just discounted the Liberals because they were just so small, and so, in, you know, they weren't really getting anywhere. Yeah. And eventually I said, OK, come sit down and, um, uh, and see if you can persuade me to vote. And then two hours later, this man not only persuaded me to vote, but persuaded me that actually I'd always been a liberal. And I took my coat down, took the liberalism down like an old coat I found hanging in the wardrobe and put it on. And it's just felt comfortable ever since. A more unlikely angel of the epiphany you cannot imagine. Um, 
But, you know, I would say this to people. Remember, there are many people who are liberals without knowing they're liberals. And for God's sake, don't forget that when you knock on a door, you may well be finding somebody who's really, you can can tell. How would I have been a liberal Democrat or a liberal had had that not not come on my door from a liberal canvasser? And can you remember the first door you knocked on? Or is that that stretching it a little bit? I can't remember that, no. I remember the first conference I went to, I was scared to death. God, I, I got up, I dared speak because I was just too nervous. And the second one I spoke for too long, which is a habit that I have. Uh, I had to learn the habit of speaking. Um, but, you know, the truth is that you've had your ups and downs, you've had your political defeats, how can you not? But I, I couldn't be anything else, I never could. I, I couldn't look at myself in the mirror in the morning and be a Tory. And people said to me, Paddy, if you'd be a Tory, you'd be like cabinet minister. Yeah, but I, I, I'm not sure that's true, by the way, but... But I, I, I would have been miserable every morning. Yeah. Um, so I'm just immensely happy as a liberal. Yeah. I really am. I, I never realised how, <laughs> how much I like Ken Clark until, yeah, yeah, until like 18 months ago. I was like, oh, right, I, okay, right, Tory, yeah, I like yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, but you see, that's the point. How, how could you not be prepared to work with people in the Tory party like Ken Clark? Or if you like, I don't want to damage her, Anna Subri. Um, you know, these are brave people. To hold minority opinions in your own party is a very brave thing. She, she's someone I want to have a chat with. <clears> I just don't know how... I mean, I know that that's definitely something that a lot of people want to... They yeah. want to hear people. Yeah. I, I mean, I've listened to a lot of Intelligence Squared uh, podcasts. Mm. And, you know, she's on there making the Remain case. And yeah. she just... Well, yeah, that's just... No, know. she's very good. I mean, yeah. you know, Anna's a liberal conservative. Uh, if she wants to stay a conservative, that's fine. Just so long as she stays a liberal, and yeah. she will. Yeah. And I work with her and work with others. You know... At a moment when the tribes are dangerously and damagingly reasserting themselves, tribalism, for God's sake, let our party not be tribal. We're the only party that's... I believe that in the modern age, the most important bit of what you do is what you do with others, that actually the age of the vertical hierarchy has gone, the industrial revolution, the paradigm structure of our time is a network. And we ultimately need to see ourselves as the network enablers, you know, the network that can, the people who can enable the network for the wider forces of progress to come together. If we do, I think we become an actual party of government. I think we're at a moment when if we act right, you might see a reversal of that terrible thing that happened in the 2000, in 1910 to 1920 when the Liberals simply lost their traction and Labour came through. I think Labour's now got itself in a position where it is unelectable. And we can take over as the major party, but we have to do it right. So, thanks to Paddy Ashdown for that. I hope you enjoyed it. That was a that was a great chat. Of course, if you've got any feedback you want to give, do so through the normal channels: Twitter at Limehouse Pod, Facebook the Limehouse Podcast, and then give us any feedback, any any issues you want raised. We'll try. We'll do our best to address them. Uh, and feel free to email us so that's the limehouse podcast at gmail.com so that's probably brought us more or less to the end of the show i hope you've enjoyed yourself stay in touch always and have a good week or have a good day you know maybe you've got some stuff in your head you're thinking you know what this is too much well it's not too much because it's going to be okay in the end just keep smiling as best you can okay and, you know, it's, it's all going to be fine. I mean, yeah, it's been a weird old week. You know, Donald Trump there with his inauguration and whatever the hell came out of his mouth. And it, it's been a strange week with Theresa May and her funny old speech and whatever. K 
came out of her arrogant mouth. We're all friends here at the, the Limehouse podcast. There are other doors that I'm going to keep opening and finding nice new people like Elaine Bagshaw. I'm sure the estate agent that sold me this this strange, beautiful house, you know, I'm sure he's aware there are other doors and other people we're going to chat to. They're going to make us feel great. And they will. So keep coming back. Keep enjoying yourself and chin up. Don't worry. It's all going to be good. The Limehouse Podcast salutes you.